It's travel with Stephanie Abrams. On the line with me, and it is such a joy for me uh, to be speaking with Paul Pennacook, the CEO of Curacao Tourism Board. Um, you know, when I was in Curacao, I met a number of people who were on their 10th trip to Curacao, their 15th trip to Curacao. One woman said, it's our third trip. And I thought that was going to be the end of the sentence. But that sentence ended with, it's our third trip this year. <laughs> so, you know, um, and that woman said to me, Curacao is my go-to place. And... Um, in fact, I actually had her on the air with me after we got home. She lives in Floral Park, New York. Um, I'll have to go and dig. I'm embarrassed to tell you I don't remember her name. What a lovely lady she was. And we kept bumping into her in places. And it turned out when we left Curacao, she was on our flight home. And I said to her, the Lord wants us to know each other. And that's how we got friendlier. And I got her phone number. And we had her on the air to talk about her experiences. Because when somebody tells you, a place has become their go-to place. They have to go there at least once, twice, three times a year. Uh, they pop back and forth, you know, to just uh, re-energize and recharge their batteries and feel good about living. And we're starting to see a bend in the road with the vaccine out there and with some places doing a good job, Curacao being one of them, of getting this disease under control and taking all kinds of measures to make sure it stays that way. I thought it might be worth our time, Paul, to remind my listeners and for those who this is the first time hearing you on the air because it's a year since you've been on. Uh, and we've brought, brought on a number of new radio affiliate stations, so maybe they missed out on uh, ever hearing you. Um, once you get to Curacao, why don't you run through, we got about three minutes, what it is you want to see and do while you're there. Oh, there are wonderful things to do, uh, CNDYA in Curacao. First of all, as I mentioned, I think earlier on, we have a multiplicity, I think about 35 cove beaches, beautiful cove beaches where you can go to any one of them or as many as you like during the period. We have a place like Shetaboka, which is beautiful where the waves are crashing against the, uh, the rocks and the ocean, and it's just a spectacular sight out there. You can go hiking in Christopher Park, for example. You can go diving in Curacao, which a lot of people don't realize how great the diving is here. I mean, generally, it, uh, Bonaire, my sister island, is one of the sister islands of the three, is uh, spoken about for diving. Well, uh, believe me, the diving in Curacao is just as good, if not better, than my sister island, Bonaire. As a matter of fact, it was in 2020, early in the year, that Forbes, uh, Forbes.com outlined that diving in Curacao was in the top 10 regions in the world that had to be done in uh, 2020. So when we make it up to Forbes.com online in terms of our diving, you know that it's quality diving that's done here. Of course, we have a, the dolphin attraction where you can swim with the dolphins. Uh, and we have a multiplicity of restaurants that you can go out and dine. We have all kinds of hotels. We have all-inclusives. We have traditional hotels. We have boutique hotels. We have a significant number of uh, villas and apartments and, you know, private accommodations that you can 
enjoy. And the atmosphere in Curacao, which is where I'd like to close on this, when you consider that just about everyone here speaks four languages, as in Papinentu, which is the local dialect, of course, Dutch, English, and Spanish, what you have coming together is the Dutch influence, the Latin influence from South America, of course, the good old Caribbean tropical influence, and that forms just this wonderful atmosphere. And our having done the great job that has been done on containing the virus, I am sure as the summer approaches, the vaccine gets more distributed and so on, there is going to be pent-up demand in the United States. And we welcome everyone who wants to just come down and experience a wonderful destination. Come on down to Curacao. Come down and feel it for yourself. And make your reservations, people, finding out what are the cancellation penalties. Uh, be sure to protect yourself with travel insurance in case uh, there's a reason why you can't travel. And um, talk with your airline to find out what their rules are in the event that uh, changes need to be made to your plans. But I think Paul is absolutely right. Um, it's going to be like we're hit by a tsunami in the travel industry when people feel more comfortable to start traveling again, and you may have a tough time getting a flight. My friend, I can't wait to talk with you again. You'll have to come back. We're flying high. Portions of today's show brought to you by Curacao, offering vacationers cultural experiences wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture. A UNESCO World Heritage City on a southern Caribbean island with coves, beaches, and over 60 dive and snorkeling sites. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com. It's travel with Stephanie Abrams. Me live from Curacao, a beautiful island. My goodness, and it's so wonderfully far south into the Caribbean Sea and not in the hurricane belt. So year-round, you get the same temperatures that run somewhere between 74 and 84, more or less, in there. I mean, just gorgeous, gorgeous weather. And um, I'm just thrilled to have Paul on the line with me getting an update on what's going on in Curacao because like every other destination in the world, they took a very cautious and careful approach to who was getting in. <laughs> so you know, when you live on an island, you have to make sure that whoever is coming to visit you isn't bringing you something you want no parts of. So um, you've been, you, you talked, Paul about the protocols related to um, what people in the travel and tourism industry have been doing in Curacao. And, you know, regrettably, um, in the United States, we've had to rely on professional organizations like hotel associations and tour operator associations and, um, you know, organizations like the American Society of Travel Advisors to put out some good ideas on what people in tourism should be doing at their destination, at their venue, where they work, to protect their staff and their visitors. But we don't have 
a, a serious manual of protocol that was given from the top as a federal level of this is what we need to do, the way they did in Ireland. When I watch what they did in Ireland, the way they did in New Zealand, I mean, it came from the top. And yes, they have a smaller population that certainly than we do in the U.S. It's an island, so it's self-contained. But we've got oceans all around us, too. You know, Nobody's walking here, even over the Canadian border. Nobody's walking in there. But the point is that I think it's really fundamentally important that there is something happening at the top that is distributing good sense regimens, uh, a kind of curriculum for this is what we all need to be doing. We all need to be doing it together. We all need to be doing it at the same time. So, um, and in Ireland, what they did was the um, head of Irish government, who was known as the Taoiseach, which means chieftain in Irish, um, created task forces for every industry. So if you are in, you know, transportation or trucking or something, or you were in retail or you were in the restaurant business, um, you know, bars and pubs and restaurants, uh, or if you were in the hotel industry and others, manufacturing, etc., retail, each had a task force made up of top leaders in that sector of commerce, and they each came up with a plan specific to their industry. Has anything like that been done in Curacao, and did any of it get handed down from the Netherlands? Uh, not down from the Netherlands, but we've done our own little thing here. For example, we uh, the Hotel Association developed their plans for the entire industry, and they conducted trainings with their members of what things to do. And we, as a tourist board, actually trained the rest of the industry on those same protocols, which, incidentally, we worked jointly on. The tourist board, the hotel, the hotel and tourism association, and the Ministry of Health. In coordination with each other, we put these protocols together. And we required protocols also to be prepared with uh, by the airport, the Curacao Airport Partners, they had to do protocols also, which were vetted by the Ministry of Health, and then we put it all out for the entire island and for the industry. Well, can you be specific? Because I think maybe we can learn something from each other about, you know, what you folks have been doing, because there's nothing more wonderful to hear you know, we didn't have any new cases <laughs> a couple of days ago, yeah. zero new cases. I mean, certainly you're doing something we need to learn from. What what exactly is part of your um, regimen? Well, I will tell you how uh, we went about it. And of course, the Ministry of Health led this process where when we decided to start reopening, it was being done very responsibly where a ratio of the level of risk was used to determine who would be allowed in. In other words, the state of affairs in that particular country. And then, from the very outset, we required this PCR test because the statistics show that doing the PCR test before you come into the destination lowers the risk dramatically, um, something like four or five times it lowers it. 
Uh, and as a result of that, we opened pretty responsibly with the PCR test, etc. And we gradually opened gateways until we got to the end of the year when seeing the results, we were comfortable to open to the entire world as long as these preconditions were met and as long as we were maintaining things on the island at a certain level. So, um, were, did any of the hotels actually, and restaurants and places that, you know, attractions people might go to, um, close during this period? Um, everybody was, just well, not everybody, but most people were closed in the period when we were locked down um, between March and uh, July. Right. When, when we reopened uh, partially in July, some places opened, not everywhere. For example, uh, the AM Resorts people, they opened Sunscape but kept Dreams closed because um, there wasn't enough business really for both hotels right. uh, and cases like that. Um, the, there are some places that stayed open all the way through, but a number of uh, hotels did in fact close. As we got further into the fall and the numbers kept going up, then um, more and more places opened. And uh, I'll just quickly give you an idea of how things went for the first uh, few months. When we opened in July, we had uh, a little over 8,000 visitors for the month. And then in September, we had a little over 9,000. Uh, October, we had a little over 10,000. And then um, I think it was in uh, November, we went up to 13,000. So by that time, we had opened a few places. Eh? Uh, unfortunately, in early December, things got, I guess, second or third wave in Europe became very strong. And uh, things really went south in the Netherlands. Right. As a result of which, they had to restrict their people from traveling, as exists today in a number of European countries. Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, all of them are basically discouraging their citizens from traveling overseas until further notice. It, it looks like this will be until about March, uh, based on what's going on, as everyone tries to get on top of the second and third wave. And at this moment in time, I understand the real attention in, in uh, Western Europe is that new UK variant right. of the disease that is uh, supposedly more transmissible. Yeah, well, the UK um, and Ireland are sh- very keen attention to that. The UK and Ireland are shut down. Well, you know, Ireland for sure is shut down until March fifth, and I think the, the UK is also, you know, Northern Ireland is shut down. Something you know similar to that. We got caught up in the lockdown in um, Ireland on um, March fifteenth, and um, like so many other places in the world, including Curacao. Um, hotels shut down, and it was part of a government order. And um, and so we, you know, there were no hotels, there were no rest uh, restaurants, and well, the pubs and restaurants closed a few weeks later, more like April first. But um, the the hotels, the inns, the B and Bs, the guest houses, the you name it, finished uh, March sixteenth. And just in that week, uh, there were a couple of pe- places that closed a day or two later, but we had no choice but to rent a house because what were we going to do? We, could, we couldn't get home, and there was no place to stay. 
And I have to tell you, there is no I'm money sure. you could give me to buy back those five months we were in Ireland. It was glorious. And yeah. I have to tell you, had we been, I hate to use the word stuck, but, you know, stranded, marooned, um, had we been in caught up in a lockdown in Curacao during the same period, I would have been just as happy as I was in Ireland because there are so many places. <laughs> you know, when you look at how many outdoorsy places there are, you can go and, That's right. um, you know, and walk, you know, bike, drive your car around where there is nobody else. You don't have to worry about social distancing. You've got all this space no. and you're a mountainous island besides. So if you're into That's hiking right. and biking and climbing and whatever, you know, you're in your glory. You do all of that. It's phenomenal. Absolutely. And, you know, may I just mention, for example, one of the things that take restaurants, uh, for example, had to do during the periods when we were being very careful. Um, the Restaurant Association and ourselves and the Chamber of Commerce, the Hotel Association, the Tourist Board and all of us, we sat down and made sure we went through all these procedures. One of the things that the Restaurant Association did, for example, is that if you were to go out and dine at a restaurant anywhere in Curacao during this period, you had to make a reservation to go. That's the first thing. Second thing, each restaurant had to ensure that they registered every person who came there to dine. They registered people so that if anything were to happen, they have a list where they can contact and trace people in the future. So that Smart. took place all the way to the end of the year, and it's continuing now, as a matter of fact, which is another way we were able to control the thing and step on top of the thing just in case it starts to spread. You do contact tracing and deal with it very quickly. Well, you know, that's one of the... That, and I, I guess that's what I was trying to explain in the first segment of this hour where I was talking about why I could, you know, live in Curacao. I judge de destinations often by, could I live here? If I can't live there, it's great for a holiday and let's move on to somewhere else. But, you know, when you, when you go to a place that you love so much that you could live there, and one of the things that, you know, is special about Curacao is it's very civilized. Not all destinations feel civilized. They feel very third-worldy. And when it comes to things like health and safety, you get a little nervous. <laughs> Curacao does not fall into that category. It's, into, it's in that, you know, very civilized level. And there are many hotels, and one that comes to mind at this moment is the Avila Beach Hotel, which is in the capital city, but right on a beach. Once you get into that hotel, you think you're somewhere in a remote area, and you're right by the downtown area. It's amazing. They have lots of rooms where you enter your room from the outside. You don't have to go through a lobby. So you're avoiding crowds wherever you go, and you go out the door, and you're on the beach, and there's plenty of beach there. So you can self-distance yourself with no problem. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we've got a little more time, and I've got a couple of questions. Can you still stay with me, or do you have to run? Just a little bit more time. That's perfect. That's all I need. Stay with me, everybody. we got Paul to the end of the hour. This is Stephanie Abrams. Don't go away. Get motivated by reading the fantastic reviews of Rumors by Stephanie Abrams at Amazon.com. This is the perfect season to snuggle up with a good book, Rumors by Stephanie Abrams. Invite your book club to read it.
It's Travel with Stephanie Abrams. On the line with me live from beautiful Curacao is Paul Pennecook. And I am just thrilled that he is on the air with me and uh, alive and healthy and apparently the result of all the precautions that have been taken in Curacao to assure healthful conditions for people who live there and who are visitors. Now, you were closed down to visitation for some time in Curacao, weren't you? We were. We were closed down from mid-March through the end of June. Wow. Completely closed. Wow. And so... Um, you... and, and actually, we did not reopen to the U.S. until October when we opened to only four states. And then uh, on the 1st of January this year, we opened up back to the entire United States and the world. Okay. So if people wanted to come now to Curacao, they would first have to get a negative COVID test result within 72 hours of their departure from the U.S. Um, to go to Curacao. And yes, where, what, what airports, what uh, airlines and from what airports can you fly from the U.S. to Curacao at this point, Paul? Right. I'll, I'll give you that in one second because there are two other things that we must tell uh, your listeners. The negative PCR test is one. They also will need to fill out a passenger locator card, PLC, which is all available online. And they also would fill out a digital immigration card. Those three items, the negative PCR test, the passenger loading, uh, the passenger locator card, and the digital immigration are all uploaded to Curacao before departure, and you get something back from the government of Curacao. It says, fine, everything is in order, and of course you show that to the airlines when you come down. The gateways that you can depart from at the moment to get to Curacao are Miami on American Airlines, Charlotte, North Carolina, on American Airlines, JFK in New York on JetBlue, and uh, Newark in New Jersey on United Airlines. Okay, I'm not talking because I'm writing. <laughs> I'm making sure I'm getting all of this straight. So you can fly to Curacao from Miami on American, from Charlotte, North Carolina on American, where we have American. listeners. Hi, y'all. Um, uh, from JFK on JetBlue and from Newark on United Airlines. Now, are they flying every day or what's the deal there? American is every day from Miami. Charlotte is once a week from uh, American is once a week from Charlotte. United is once a week from Newark. JetBlue is three times a week from JFK. Got it. Well, for the moment, that's a decent amount of lift because um, people are not yet traveling the way we used to travel or the way that we hope to travel again soon. Absolutely. You're, you're so right because at this point in time, yes, it's um, people are not really traveling at the rate at which they were traveling pre-COVID. And, um, and therefore, we have to sort of gradually build it back. And, uh, you know, in addition to the health 
concerns. They are economic concerns at the moment, and all of that put together has made it, uh, you know, a little less likely that people are just going to jump on a plane. But uh, that is why it is so important for your listeners to know that we have done all the necessary things to ensure that they are safe and comfortable when they come to Curacao. And the way we are laid out as a destination in Curacao, where we have multiple beautiful cove beaches and we have our attractions all spread out and even the hotels, very spacious, such that you can have a great holiday, enjoy your social distancing, enjoy uh, the facilities, and, you know, have your holiday, go on the beach and go out and dine and all of that. And everything is fine because we have enough offering and enough space in Curacao to ensure that you have a wonderful holiday despite Corona. Oh, we're going to take a quick break and come back because you brought so many things to my mind while you were speaking just now that we've got to follow up with. We're talking about Curacao today, people. Stephanie Abrams here. Don't leave me. Welcome to Travel with Stephanie Abrams. I am just thrilled you are with us this hour. I want to remind you, if you have to leave us or if you've just joined us and you've missed any part of today's show, go to sabrams.net, S-A-B-R-A-M-S dot N-E-T, and you'll find the podcast shows that you can download, take with you. You'll find the archived audio. You'll find photo galleries and blogs and uh, travel TV with Stephanie Abrams. The episodes are logged in there without uh, commercials. And um, you can watch the shows live on TV if you have Roku or Amazon Fire Stick in the 5 p.m. Eastern time time slot, wherever you've got your Roku or Amazon Fire whatever, all set up. And... I have to tell you, I am so excited about this hour because, my gosh, um, it's coming up on a year, I'm going to say, since, well, it, it is a year, since the last time we had Paul Pentecook, who's the CEO of Curacao Tourism Board, Curacao being part of those three Dutch islands that are nestled off the coast of South America, out of the hurricane belt, um, Aruba, Bonaire, Curacao. And um, I really think it should be, instead of the ABC Islands, I think it should be the CAB Islands, C-A-B, Curacao, Aruba, Bonaire, because um, there is something about Curacao that you will find nowhere else. Uh, It is a uniquely special destination that I am smitten with. And I I have to share a little secret with you. I have been playing with the idea of spending more time living outside of the U.S. Uh, Part of that uh, grew out of the five months we were marooned in Ireland in 2020 when we got caught in the lockdown there and couldn't get home. 
And that was wonderful. And I was thinking while I was there, if I had to be caught up in some other place to live other than the gorgeous place I live in Western Massachusetts in Berkshire County, which you must come and visit, but come when you're healthy and move here. As long as you move here with a non-polluting industry, we'd be thrilled to have you come move in. You'd love it here. But living in Ireland for five months, touring for a month and then being caught, you know, renting a house and living, got me to thinking about living outside of the country. And so I thought a lot about what would be the perfect existence if I didn't live in Berkshire County. And the perfect existence for me would be either living full time in Ireland and or Northern Ireland, some place on the island that is Ireland, or living full time in Curacao, where the weather is pretty much the same year round. And you don't have to worry about hurricanes because that's an important feature for me. But, um, and the other was the potential of maybe spending half the year in Ireland and the other half in Curacao. That would work too. But I could really be happy and living in Curacao. And I have to tell you why briefly. There are some destinations you go to and you say, oh, this place is gorgeous, but I couldn't live here. And why couldn't you live there? You couldn't live there because culturally it didn't offer enough. There wasn't enough music. There wasn't enough dance. There wasn't enough literature. There wasn't enough anything intellectual. Um, there weren't enough, enough events. There was no serious area to go to explore and shop and dine out and whatever. If you didn't eat at your hotel, it would be a catastrophe because there's no place else to go. That happens on a lot of islands. It's great for a holiday. It's not a place you'd want to stay long term. Curacao's not one of those places, and that's why it makes it so special for a holiday. Because in any holiday, if you initially go because you need a rest and a break and you sit on the beach for two or three days, by the fourth day, you have ants in your pants and they didn't come out of the sand. You want to go and do things. And there is so much to do and see. There is so much history going back 400 years um, when the first Dutchman arrived and people coming from Spain and people from, coming from other parts of Europe and other parts of the world and mingling the cultures of the locals, the South Americans, the Europeans. And the result is the most incredible culture. So it's not a place that if you were there two weeks, you get bored out of your gourd. No, can't happen, not in Curacao. And so um, that's the place for me, folks. And you feel the Dutch influence everywhere you go, which is wonderful. And uh, as a result, I'm looking forward to a time when we will freely travel, all of us, because we are in a comfortable position, both economically and from a health and psychological point of view, that we're ready to go. And we're getting closer to that now. We're really getting closer to that now. And I have on the line waiting to talk with us, Paul Pentecook, CEO uh, of the Curacao Tourism Board and great friend for probably three or four decades now. <laughs> 
longer than I care to admit to, especially since I'm 19. You can hear him giggling in the background live from Curacao. We're going to talk with him right after this. This weather report is brought to you by the Curacao Tourism Board. The long-range weather forecast for the north coast-to-coast calls for snow, sleet, icy rain, slippery roads, and a wind chill factor well below freezing. The long-range forecast for Curacao calls for warm and sunny today, warm and sunny tomorrow, next month, and the months that follow, with highs around 86 degrees and lows around 76. Isn't it time to plan your breakaway in Curacao now? Learn more at curacao.com. That's C-U-R-A-C-A-O dot com. I am thrilled to have Paul Pennacook on the line. The first time I met Paul was, I don't remember if it was Antigua or Anguilla or Jamaica, but he was very much heading up the operations at a resort, and that had to be in the 1980s. Do you remember that, Paul? Yes, I vaguely remember because we're both 19. You know, so. That's it. Oh, you know, every year I'm 19 again, and uh, there's no That's point. Right. There's no point in aging. It's a losing proposition. Growing is another thing. I haven't stopped growing. I just stopped aging long ago. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, my friend. You have so much to share with us. What has been going on in Curacao? How how have the folks in Curacao manage, what condition is the place in, and when can we expect that red carpets will be rolled out uh, ubiquitously so we can all slide in? Okay, well, uh, like the rest of the world, Stephanie, we had our share of uh, visitation from the infamous COVID-19 virus. And... um, the second half, or really the two-thirds of 2020, we were going through that problem. Uh, I must say that we did, um, after having locked down the destination, we did reopen partially, uh, primarily to Europe, back in July. But we really just sort of scratched the surface between July and December because, like so many other places, Towards the end of the year, or in the fourth quarter, we had our second wave, if you will, of uh, coronavirus. Now, during that period, the thing really got spread around in the local population to the point where it peaked at about 1,800 active cases on the island. I'm pleased to say that over the last three, four weeks, we have gone very much in the right direction with that and we are now below 100 active cases on the island the daily infection is now single digits as a matter of fact on three days ago they reported zero new cases and so we're definitely in at a point where we're clearly one of the lowest risk destinations in the world now in terms of the number of active cases on island uh, and the practices that we're having. What do I mean by that? All our workers in the hospitality industry have been trained to adhere to certain protocols to make sure that they keep the guests safe when they get here and, of course, to make sure they are kept safe because they don't want to get coronavirus and take it home to their families. 
and so they're adhering to all the procedures, you know, the, the sanitation, the hygiene, the social distancing, the wearing of masks, and all those things. Even in the way they do their buffets at the hotels, um, they do not have, for example, people going through the lines and all uh, using the same utensils. Instead, they have service behind the line serving the guests and that sort of thing. And they all have their sanitizers at the entrance to the restaurants and all that good stuff. So the protocols have been put in place to maintain a very safe environment because we know that we have to continue to exist despite corona. But at the same time, the virus, uh, the, the spreading of the virus has gone down significantly here. And so we're now very excited to welcome the world back to Curacao. As a matter of fact, on the 1st of January is when we opened up to the world again. There is a precondition, I must say, and that is in order to visit Curacao, you must take a PCR test 72 hours before departing home to come to Curacao. So you must get a negative COVID-19 PCR test. Okay, well we're going to take a quick we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come right back talking with uh, Paul Pentecook live from Curacao, uh, and I'm loving what I'm hearing because that's the key to making it all work healthfully. Don't leave me. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 